Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, everyone. I hope that you're doing well today. I am your host, Melissa Crouch. And before we get started, as a courtesy, want to let you all know that we are recording this webinar. We are so happy to have you here hanging out with us. These webinars are a series where we go in depth with you on various monthly topics. And this is just a way for us to keep you updated with what's changed in the industry, current challenges, and what's coming next. So last month we discussed data-driven marketing. And for this month, we are diving into protecting sensitive data. Why is this important? You might be wondering, well, breaches of sensitive data are extremely costly for organizations when you tally data loss and stock price impact and mandated fines from violations and regulations. And ultimately, it can also diminish trust as a result of those breaches. In 2021, the number of data breaches climbed from 68% to 1,862%, which is the highest in 17 years, with the average cost of $4.24 million each. About 45 million people were impacted by healthcare data breaches alone, which is triple the number impacted just three years prior. If you haven't noticed, learning how to protect your company's data is extremely important. So during this month's webinar, we plan to dive into these three key areas. We're going to talk about data breaches and what cybersecurity or what cyber criminals can do with your data. We're going to get into some best practices for protecting your organization, and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of tools and technologies that can also help to protect your organization. Now to the fun part, I'm gonna introduce uh, some of my team that's here with me. I have some awesome co-hosts who are gonna be sharing with you today. Bob Borges, he's the Chief Technology Officer. Joe Rodericks, he's the Senior Cloud and Security Engineer. And Mike Miller, who's a Senior Engineer here at Infused Innovations. So let's get into it. Bob, I want to get started with you. I would love for you to give us an idea of what cyber criminals can do with stolen data in the first place and talk to us about why this is so urgent for organizations. Thanks, Melissa. That's a great question and has a bit of a complex answer. Unfortunately, we live in a world where there are those who take advantage of gaps in security, putting organizations and individuals both at risk. Um, the dark web is full of lots of information for sale. This includes stolen or hacked login credentials from compromised systems, including hacked websites, uh, credit card info from hacked uh, POS registers, online web services, things like that, and uh, personal identifiable information, PII, that can be used to open new accounts or services under the victim's name. Um, and then, of course, company data stolen during a breach. So all of those type of things can be uh, found on the dark web, easily purchased. 
Uh, and purchasing stolen credit cards, login credentials on the dark web is very inexpensive. It's often sold at bulk. Um, so this is not only bad news for companies, but for individuals as well. As an example, a stolen debit card gives attackers direct access into someone's bank account, which makes it difficult, maybe even impossible to fight uh, as the victim. Uh, if your identity, and, excuse me, if your um, identity information was stolen, freezing your credit with the three major credit agencies, Experian, Equifax, TransUnion, it's good, but it may not even be enough to prevent new accounts from being open near your name. And what I mean by that is, as an example, uh, mobile phone cap carriers often use third-party services to verify credit worthiness instead of querying the major credit agencies. So somebody could still open a cell phone account in your name, even though your credit is frozen across all those companies. Um, and just as an example, but there are a no number of methods attackers use to get into and steal your data. Um, one is including brute force attacks uh, against an online system to guess valid credentials. So this could be any internet facing system, including terminal servers, web servers, VPN gateways, things like that. Um, once they gain initial access, they have their foot in the door and they'll attempt to gain additional access into the rest of the network. Another common method is for attackers to send a custom phishing or spear phishing message asking employees to take some immediate action. This often leads to either employee getting scammed into doing something like a wire transfer, purchasing gift cards, or the user clicking on a link uh, or an attachment to inadvertently install some malware on their system. By the time the user realizes their mistake, um, the damage is already done because that damage happens in milliseconds. Uh, Attackers can take advantage of unpatched vulnerabilities in your environment and something that is unfortunately seen all the time. That's I'm talking about servers, firewalls, VPN appliances, and uh, even workstations. This is why a robust patching process is critical to help protect your environment. Uh, attackers may also obtain information about your systems from another hacker on the dark web, uh, which gives them the information they need to gain access to your systems and to your data. Um, like I said, there's a lot of data available out in the dark web. So more sophisticated targeted attacks op often happen in multiple stages. First, they do reconnaissance. They look at what's available and uh, work on gaining deeper access. Oftentimes that's creating accounts, creating backdoor access for themselves so that, they're, that they'll use after. The second stage is where the damage occurs. This is where data is either stolen, encrypted, and held for ransom, or maybe even both uh, in worst case scenarios. So I've talked to a lot of business executives who believe their data isn't valuable to attackers or they're aren't a big target because they aren't a large national bank or any other large organization. But the truth is all companies are targets, not just the large enterprise. In fact, small and mid-sized businesses can be a more common ta target to attackers. They know these businesses rarely have any budget to uh, significantly for cybersecurity and have uh, little risk of getting caught. And uh, if they're not going to get caught, then there's little downside for them to even attempting an attack. So I want to talk a little bit about ransomware and exfiltration of data, and data being stolen. So due to its prevalent use, most people I think are now familiar with ransomware attacks. Uh, we Things we hear about and see, unfortunately, very often in the world. Uh, this is where software is installed in the system. Oftentimes it's delivered through an unpatched vulnerability like we talked about before or a phishing attack. 
the software identifies and encrypts as much data as it can find. So uh, the, then the attacker holds your data for ransom, asking the victim to pay um, to recover the data. So essentially decrypt that data. The newer variants that we see uh, can access cloud services like Dropbox and others, and even corrupt data backups, making it difficult or impossible to restore from backup. So now they're really holding you hostage, your data hostage. Um, and this is another reason why it's important to keep a separate backup, your data, your backup data separate from um, your normal systems to minimize the risk of uh, that corruption. Restoring from a secure backup can often help with a typical ransomware attack, but that might not be the end of the story. A lot of times attackers are now exfiltrating a copy of your data uh, to a server in the web that they control. So that means that uh, cases like this, they not only hold your encrypted data for ransom, but they threaten to make that data publicly viewable if you don't pay the ransom. So you're not just paying the ransom to possibly get back in operation, but if you don't pay the ransom because you can restore from a good backup, they if they stole a copy of your data, now they're holding it and saying, we're gonna make this all public, which could be really damaging to your organization, could be damaging to your clients. Uh, so the overall cost of the attack could be significant and something that everybody should keep in mind. If you lose control of your data, are you losing anything confidential that could hurt the company or its partners or its customers? Uh, public knowledge of an attack can negatively affect the company's reputation to customers, to investors, to stakeholders. Uh, the cost of downtime alone can be quite significant. How much downtime is acceptable to your company before the loss of revenue is too large? Is it an hour, is it a day, a week, multiple weeks? How long is it going to take you to recover? How will it affect your team if you lose several days of data while you're restoring from your last known good backup. And there's the ransom itself, of course. So if you find yourself in a position where the, a ransom does need to be made, not only are you paying for you know, that ransom amount, but you won't, may want to uh, be in a position where you're hiring an intermediary organization that can negotiate and perform due diligence to make sure your ransom isn't funding some terrorist organization, putting your company in legal risk. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of risk, a lot to think about, but uh, I've talked a little bit about some of the bad things attackers could do with your data. I hope it illustrates the risk, why it's important to make sure that a multi-layered approach is taken for security and privacy. Wow, Bob, that was amazing. So much information and you really put things into perspective. And I love how you touched on all organizations need to be aware of this, whether you are a large business, a small business. You know, I know Mike and I had a podcast, um, gosh, a couple months ago, and I remember asking you that same question. So many organizations think that they are not a target for this. And you had made a comment that really put things into perspective for me. You said, if there's one credit card on file, that's all that that's all that they need, right? So you're at risk if there's just one credit card on file. Um, you know, I'd love to know Mike, Joe, do you have any anything else that you'd like to add to that? Bob did a great job of really kind of giving us that um, perspective. But if there's anything that you'd like to add, let me know. For me, I mean, I think Bob covered it really well in terms of what they can do with that data. Uh, I think he covered about every aspect that you could uh, dive into on that. So great job, Bob. Yeah. yeah. So 
Mike, what I want to do now is we've talked a lot about the implications of having a cyber attack and really what that can do to your organization. But I want to now kind of segue into the solutionaries. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some of the best practices and tips for organizations to protect themselves. So tell us what can they do to protect their data? Yeah, so protecting your data starts with knowing your data. You have to understand your data, what types of files you have out there, where it's stored, who needs to access it, when it needs to be accessed, things like that. So you cannot apply any kind of protection, uh, loss prevention, anything like that without knowing what is in your organization to begin with. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the first step in applying protection. Uh, from there, of course, you want to actually do, you know, the protecting of your data, whether that's end-to-end -end encryption, you know, monitoring the access, maybe maybe it's just an HR file. You know, if it's if it's company employee personal information that only HR needs, then you would want to lock down that file so that, you know, someone in marketing isn't reading that content because that's not for their eyes. And then, of course, preventing someone external from accessing it as well. Uh, and then preventing data loss. So <clears throat> with those protections in place, you can start detecting, you know, risky behaviors. You can prevent accidental oversharing. So maybe a user accidentally attaches a, a file to their email and they're going to send that externally uh, by mistake, but that file contains someone's information, right? You don't want that to happen. You want to have controls in place that prevent that or send maybe a notice to the user like, hey, do you, do you really mean to be sharing this file right now? It contains this information. Uh, and then understanding third-party application access. So cloud apps are, are extremely common in today's world, and people are authorizing access to them all the time. Uh, these applications will get access to reading your email, writing your email, maybe even having control or seeing your calendar. You want to make sure you're really monitoring those applications and keeping an eye on, you know, maybe you're allowing user consent but you want to know what they're consenting to, or maybe you scope it down and say, no, you're not going to consent to this. You have to ask for my approval. So controlling those third-party applications and knowing who can see into your organization and what they can see is extremely important. Uh, and then it comes down to protecting the identities of those, uh, of the individuals that are accessing your content. So MFA, strong passwords, protecting the devices that they're on. You have to have control over who is accessing it and making sure that they are who they say they are, applying proper authentication methods, you know, putting encryption down to the device level, uh, things like that. Awesome, thank you so much, Mike. I think so many companies probably get so lost in the mix of like, what, where do we even start? Like, what are best practices? And I feel like that really helps us kind of understand. Bob, Joe, is there anything that you'd like to add to that that you feel like maybe wasn't mentioned or is extremely important in terms of just best practices? Yeah, just to layer on what Mike was saying, it's really good to take that approach where you're assuming uh, breach, you're assuming that bad things are going to happen. So you're not depending on one technology to uh, protect you. So you want to, of course, you know, strengthen your walls to keep the bad guys out as much as possible. But you also want to protect your data, whether it's on your systems or you've already lost control of it and they've taken some of your data. And that's where some of these uh, practices come into play. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. Um, you can't always rely on humans, right? We make errors all the time. So just making sure that those controls are in place really can help. Um, Joe, is there anything that you'd like to add? 
No, I think Mike did a great job of um, covering all of the, you know, the security posturing that could be done by the user themselves. I mean, that's really the best part, of the, the best point of the fence, um, you know, for any security solution in any environment. I mean, the, the users are really where the attacks start and end for the most part. Everything else is the ancillary as far as, you know, third party services that can block those attacks. That's a good point. Perfect. Okay, well, Joe, I'm going to have you take it from here. Um, you know, Bob talked about the importance of protecting, uh, you know, your data and what's at stake. And Mike talked about the best practices to stay safe. But I really kind of want to get into the nitty gritty. So give us the tools and technologies, some of which I'm sure has already been mentioned, but just give us like a rundown of what tools are um, the best to be invested in for companies to protect their data? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really beyond the employee posture, right? Security posture, you should have a good foundation there. Something that works 24 seven while you're sleeping, while you're away from your machine that still, um, you know, defends the environment. And in some cases, acts on the offensive where it's proactively securing and patrolling your environment. So, Right away, usually the first thing that we'd like to start with or assess in an environment is multi-factor authentication and any user assign-in risk uh, policies. Um, a lot of this can be found in what we call conditional access. And what that is, is it's essentially your modern day firewall in the cloud. So um, turning back the tape, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, on-prem um, environments, really, your first line of defense was a firewall or a stack of firewalls, right? I mean, that dictated who can get into your environment and what could get out of your environment. So Microsoft has adopted this at the cloud level with what's called conditional access. It works in the same way. Um, you can control what comes into the cloud environment, what goes out of the cloud environment. And you have a lot of um, granularity um, over what you can manipulate that comes in and goes out, it's like stuff like session control, which we'll dive into here, but that is the modern day firewall. And that's you know usually the first step in the process to make sure that you know the cloud apps are secure, your user base in the cloud is secure. Um, with stuff with that comes stuff with like AED user risk, um, sign-in risk, uh, user risk is um intelligence built into Azure that dictates whether or not that user is potentially being compromised, um, whether it's the user themselves that's actually logging in. An example would be, you know, Melissa, you're logged into this webinar right now, so you obviously can't be logging in Russia at the same time, right? Stuff along those lines. Um, so there's a, there's a decent amount of intelligence that's built into it that stays and runs 24-7, you know, even while everybody's asleep. Um, so beyond that, uh, like like Mike mentioned, um, good data governance, know where your data is, where your data is. That's where um, AIP comes into place, Azure Information Protection. And all that is essentially is blocking your data up and putting labels on it. So in the off chance data does escape or is expelled from your environment, unless you're in the group designated for that data or you have rights to that data, you can't access the data, even if you've managed to get it off site on USB drive. The second you try to access that data, it's going to go right up to Microsoft, ask you to identify yourself. And unless you can do that with a username, password, 
teamed with multi-factor authentication, right, to prove you are who you are through facial recognition, biometrics, all that good stuff. The data is useless to you. It stays encrypted and you really can't do anything with it. So stuff like that really drives home with protecting the data on site. And then the rest of it is pretty much um, more good housekeeping defensive tactics uh, like Microsoft Defender for Cloud Apps. You know, that's a single pane of glass that Microsoft offers where you can see everything on the object level, everything that's going on in your SharePoint environment, your OneDrive environment, um, email environment. You can see if a user um, out of nowhere downloaded, you know, 500 plus files to their personal mm -hmm. device, you know, which should set off an alarm, right? And rightfully that will set off an alarm, right. you know, for people to look at. Um, you have what's called uh, Defender for Endpoint, which is really your first line of defense on the device. Um, it takes the place of, you know, modern day virus protection and, you know, it catches everything that goes in and out of the system and also controls, you know, the device to make sure that nothing odd or off is going on. On the flip side of that, we have what's called Defender for Identity. Same exact thing as Defender for Endpoint, except this sits on um, domain controllers for organizations that still have an internal on-prem um, environment. This monitors um, the identity portion where it'll catch attackers or malicious attempts traversing your network. So um, for instance, if a machine becomes infected and the threat actors manage to stay under the radar all the way up till now, uh, basing this around if Defender for Endpoint is on the machine, right? Once they start traversing the environment, they get out of the machine, they try to go to a DC or they try to go to your file server, Defender for Identity will catch them and stop them in their tracks. Mm. Um, so really like this is a good, the recommendations here are a good blend of cloud and on-prem because you know a lot of environments are hybrid. They have the cloud component, but they still have a large amount of their presence on-prem. So we usually feel like you know, this makes it a good foundation to start with. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. That covered so much. Um, I don't know if there's anything that he had missed that you, you guys would want to add, Mike or Bob. Um, that was a lot of information. Is there anything that you guys would like to add to that? No, I, I think it just comes down to, you know, like you mentioned before and Joe mentioned that, you know, users are eventually going to fall victim to something. So, yes, we do everything we can to prevent that. But having these protections in place and leveraging these tools and technologies, uh, you know, takes it one step further and saying, okay, we expect you to fall victim. Here's what we're going to do to stop it once it happens. Right. And understanding that human error is a thing and that we have yeah. to account for it. <laughs> right. Um, Bob, do you have anything that you wanted to add to that? No, I think that, that was great. Uh, having the right tools, having the right methodologies and process in place to uh, deal with an event if uh, you know an incident does happen or when if and when an incident happens how do you react to it that is important um, having the protections in place is great having the tools that you can remediate is uh, really really important today yeah absolutely prior to this webinar I'd collected a few questions um, you know from others and I wanted to ask them so this is sort of a free-for-all I'm just gonna I've got three questions and whoever wants to answer them can um, but my first question is can you ever be fully prepared for a data data breach you know is there any wiggle room for 
uh, you know, cybercrime when you're using these tools and technologies. As you guys have said, there's obviously always human error. Um, so I, I assume that there has to be. Um, but if you guys want to speak on that. Well, I think no rest for the wicked, right? I mean, there's, there's always going to be an attempt. There's always going to be evolution, you know, on the bad side of, um, of cybersecurity. So as long as we have the tool sets in place, we stay modern with the tool sets and we update the tool sets. That's probably the, the bigger component of it all is, you know, having it in place is great, but everything has an evolution. Everything can be um, um, improved on. And when it is improved on, it's really important that, you know, security teams and um, network administration teams stay vigilant, vigilant and put these changes into effect um, rather than being behind the curve. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, okay, next question is, how can we know exactly who needs access to what when you're in an organization, when things are changing so often, and how can we keep this under control? Let me take this one. Um, so we like to use uh, just-in-time um, access, and basically what that is is, you know, you want to enable the least amount of privilege possible at, at any given point. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, for example, you could have a, a domain administrator who would normally have the keys to the kingdom, you know, inside of his own domain. Um, when it comes to the cloud side of things, we usually like to um, minimize that as much as possible. We keep them working at a regular user function. And when the case comes apparent where they need to escalate to a global admin or a domain admin or security admin, because there's a bunch of different levels in between user and global admin, um, we always recommend giving just the least amount of possible access to that person. This way, they have the access to do their job. They don't have anything excessive that they don't need. Right, and that's a great best practice best practice actually um, to follow. Does anyone else have any comments on that? I think something I would add to that as well is, you know, outside of the security controls, security is a whole organizational effort. It, it takes everyone in the company to have security. And part of your data security plan, whenever you sit down in the beginning stages is going through and you have to go department by department and say, okay, what do you have? What, what do you have? Who needs to access it? And then from there, you know, you can use groups, dynamic groups, whatever the case may be, and say, okay, for instance, let's say you're using SharePoint and Teams. <clears throat> if you are not a part of the HR team, you can't open the HR W2 fold. Mm. Or if you're not a part of marketing, you can't open the clients uh, information folders, right? So going through department by department and knowing what members of the organization need access where is incredibly important. If you have this open to everyone in the company, it makes it that much harder to protect that information from accidental leakage, insider use risks, uh, things like that. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. And to add to that, um, a powerful tool that Azure does have that every um, organization should be taking advantage of is um, access reviews. You can create what's called access reviews in Azure, and what it does is just that. It reviews the amount of access each individual has to each resource gives you a report and then you can also disable that access you know after a certain amount of time or whatever conditions you create inside of the access review yeah and i assume you can always go in and change those controls yeah. as well yeah, yeah. multiple access reviews 
Awesome. Great. And then my last question that I had for you guys is how can you calculate the financial impact of high risk data if it's leaked? Is there a way to do this for so that just so that companies can understand really what's at stake? Yeah, I think that answer is going to be different for every single organization uh, where it's not just the data leak itself, it's the downtime, it's the impact to the business, the impact to the reputation. So if there is, as an example, if it uh, becomes public knowledge that a security incident happened, are you going to lose business? Is that going to hurt your revenue going forward? Uh, is that going to uh, affect the stakeholders of the organization and how they vote um, in their annual meetings? Uh, is this going to uh, impact um, how your organization operates? Is it just going to increase your cost? Is this going to, there's a lot to, uh, to that, to that uh, thought process. Um, and there are calculators uh, available out there to help you with the process and think through this. But, and I encourage everybody to really do think through what does downtime mean to you? What does a security breach mean to you? What would happen if the most sensitive data on your network or in your organization got leaked out? If, uh, if uh, you know, the Colonel's uh, secret seasonings recipe were, were released, how would that impact your organization, right? Um, and uh, would that impact your customers? Uh, would you have to report this to the FBI, to the SEC? Um, and would this become public knowledge? What, are, what steps could you take and how, what negative effects would that have? Uh, so I think I asked more questions than I gave to answer, but uh, there's, there's a lot to that to take into consideration. Yeah, sometimes more questions are the appropriate answer, uh, Bob. And I think, too, you know, to your point, um, you know, for an organization, that actually could be it. That could be the, the demise of an organization, right, if those costs end up you know, far superseding the, the organization and what they can handle. Um, I just want to say thank you to all of you. You gave us so much great information, and I really hope that that was something that, you know, others are able to take and um, just get some value from. So, Bob, Joe, Mike, thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who attended our webinar. We clearly have an incredible security team here at Infuse Innovations. If you ever need help, we are a trusted partner and we're happy to work with you. Um, so if you're looking for support and guidance, we would love to chat. And yeah, thank you all so much for being here and we will chat with you next time. Bye guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.